Hey, I'm Steve O'Farrell, co-founder and managing partner at The Royals, an independent Australian advertising agency that's focused on delivering unnatural change for clients through undeniable creativity. Our podcast, Chunk of Change, is where we go deep on the methods and madness required to create the sort of change that you want to see in the world. So when I recorded this episode a few weeks ago, our guest Matt Mullins and his partners at Sandhill Road had just sold their business to KKR-backed Australian venue company for what was an undisclosed amount of money. I don't know the specific figure, but according to the press reports here in Australia, it was well over $100 million. The sale itself was the culmination of a lifetime of work for Matt. And Matt talks about the mixed emotions he felt at the time of signing, including relief, because in Matt's words, deals like this often don't happen. Ironically, shortly after signing the contract, pubs and restaurants all over the country were forced to close and KKR and ABC subsequently pulled the pin on the deal just days from settlement. So while the deal didn't actually materialise, in listening to the recording a couple of weeks later, I couldn't help but be reminded of why these guys were so successful in bringing such huge and positive change to the hospitality industry in the first place. First of all, these guys absolutely love what they do. Matt's a totally genuine guy when he says how they love their patrons and they love their pubs. In listening to the recording, I was also reminded of the cruelty that this pandemic can bring upon people regardless of how good they are at their chosen craft because there's no doubt that Matt and his business partners are at the absolute top of their game. As a result, the conversation covers a range of super useful strategies to manage change at scale, from the role of research and vulnerability in commercialising creativity to the importance of collaboration and how to make better business decisions in a partnership, and of course, all in the context of, as we've now seen, one of the riskiest and most creatively subjective industries there is. So please sit back and enjoy our first ever episode of Chunk of Change with Matt Mullins of Sandhill Road. Hello, Matt. Welcome to Chunk of Change. Thanks for coming in and thanks for opening your doors to us here at the SP Podcast Studio. Thank you, mate. It's a pleasure to have you here. Pleasure to have you here. We have long admired the work of the Royals. Um, you guys have done a little bit of work for us over the years as well, which has been we very, very cool. We have indeed. And, uh, and we love what you guys do. So it's nice to be part of this awesome, adventure. Mate. We, we really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. Your story is really interesting because you actually opened your first pub back in 2000 with a bunch of mates. Uh, the Commercial Club yes. Hotel yep. in Fitzroy. Interestingly, you chose to call your company at the time, Sandhill Road. And then some 20 years later, you've just been acquired by a company that's backed by KKR, which is a, a big venture capital firm out of the States that's got a big office on the very famous Sandhill Road. Is that, that right? The in same, Silicon Valley. The, 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 the same name that you chose to name your company after. So, Matty, I've got to ask Classic. you. I've got to ask that. you to start. Is that by design or by coincidence? <laughs> it, it is pure coincidence. I can <laughs> I can assure you that, Steve. But uh, the the name Sandy Road was in, was certainly we got that name from Silicon Valley. So we knew of the road there where Kleiner Perkins and all those big VCs were. Um, uh, like a lot of people back in those days, we were um, starting our first business and like desperately hungry for advice and inspiration and knowledge and seeking it out in all sorts of different places one of which was because the dot-com boom was like exploding at the time one of which was books about silicon valley and about you know the extraordinary growth in dot-com businesses over there and every book about silicon valley would, ref would reference the sort of shit that was happening on sand hill road in those days but, but you guys were opening a pub yeah, so that's a pretty. <laughs> that's not quite the same thing, is it? <laughs> that's a pretty unusual choice of name yeah, for a, a bunch of mates who bought their yeah. first pub. Well, so the other the other reason we chose it, um, having sort of, and this was my brother Andy, um, who is a is a hell of a um, left of centre thinker anyway. But um, you know, when it comes time to naming companies, like he's the man, right? Right. So uh, not only was was it that factor that Santa Road was just a an in intriguing place in the world back then. Yeah. But also back in those days, the boys and I, we'd head down the coast like several times a week f to surf and uh, and we'd spend a lot of our time on the beach anyway and the ocean and the beach has always been a huge part of our life 
Um, so, so it was more a reference of, to that. You didn't you didn't have a particular vision at the time of where you wanted to go with the business. No, but we but but as as always though the the, the name Santa Road was meant to conjure a, a sense in anyone who heard it um, of, of earthiness and rawness and um, and kind of kind of naturalness rather than Silicon Valley entrepreneurs Indeed. looking to make their first billion. That's it. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is interesting. I mean, do you have a or have you had a, a core purpose for the business since you started? I'd be interesting to hear more about it. We didn't set out with a core purpose. Um, we we set out with the intention of leading a fulfilled lives. Um, you know, the the main reason we started a business um, could have been anything. In the end, it was pubs. Uh, but the main reason for that is that is that the four of us, having finished university, just didn't like going to work every day in the city, um, putting on a suit and working for somebody else. It just right. it, it didn't fulfil us at all. And we couldn't imagine ourselves doing it for the rest of our lives. So that was the that was what drove us to look for something else, to try and do something else. And um, and it was Doug, one of our business partners, who had already made the decision that he was going to stop doing that kind of rat race version of work. Right. And he'd gone and um, got a job working behind a bar in a pub with the idea that he would become a manager there at some point, learn a whole bunch of skills. If he loved the industry the way he thought he would, he would then hopefully get a chance to build a pub of his own one day. And he told us that idea, uh, quite stupidly in the end, and, uh, <laughs> and we said, oh, that's great, mate. Yeah, that's uh, – we." you know what? I was thinking of just the same thing. Um, so uh, so and, and, and so the, 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 it, it wasn't the idea that we had to build a pub. It was this idea that we had to find another way to live yeah, and I another always, way to work. Yeah, right. I've always said that there's there's nothing more motivating than an inherent sense of uncomfortableness is there. I mean, presumably you're Absolutely. a lot more presumably you're a lot more comfortable now. What 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 yeah. drives you these days? Well, it, it, yes, we are more comfortable now. We're more comfortable with with how we live our lives and we're more comfortable with with uh, how we work. Um but but I we we remain uncomfortable in some ways. I, I like I like being uncomfortable. There's, you know, and, and we'll probably talk a bit more about this as we delve into some of the details of, of what we've built and how we built it and how we've made decisions and what have you. But um, I think I think there's something really important about um, about being a bit uncomfortable and being a bit on edge. And uh, I think it produces better results generally. Um, that said, though, uh, you know, we were seeking a more comfortable place in the world you know, that made right. more sense to us. Right. And, uh, and we have found that place. Right. It's working for ourselves. It's being partners. It's building this business. Um, but to do it properly, you can't be comfortable the whole time. Sure. So, so Joe Gebbia, I think it was, who, who's the co-founder of Airbnb, said that starting a new venture is like jumping off a cliff and sewing a parachute on the way down. <laughs> how would you, how would you describe? Good. How would you describe those first few years in business? Just like that, I couldn't do it quite <laughs> as um, fluently as he did, but that's that makes a lot of sense. We um, so we we just leapt off the edge, no doubt about it, and uh, we we didn't know we didn't know anything about pubs really, despite the fact that Doug had been a pub manager for about a year at that point and was really good. Um, uh, but you know, there's a lot that goes into building a business, building a pub, and running it that you don't learn as a pub manager, right. and that we hadn't learnt, the rest of us hadn't learnt in any any area. So we were making up a lot of it as we went along. But we we knew really quickly that that we didn't know a lot of shit, and so we were really we were really careful early on to to get people around us who could help us. Like people who'd been there before, who knew what they were doing, who were experts in areas that we just weren't. Um, Can you elaborate on that a bit in terms of their skill sets? Well, yes. Yeah, so, Perhaps so, talk about the skill sets that that you started with and how you <laughs> how you kind of built on that. Well, okay, <laughs> okay. The skill sets we started with <laughs> were pretty minimal, to be honest, Steve. <laughs> we, uh, obviously, Doug was a hotel manager, right? So that was good because if he hadn't known how to manage a hotel, we would have had zero skills, um, essentially. So uh, the other boys and I had, you know, Andy and Tom were 
were brokers at the time, and so they finance brokers. So, so they knew a bit about um, you know the world of finance more than you um, did about numbers. Absolutely, yeah, right. yeah. Um, and I still know nothing about numbers. <laughs> I um, I still have no idea, but fortunately, uh, my partners do. And um, and I I was in marketing and PR and knew a bit about that, but wasn't very good at it and didn't really like it. So uh, that's the reason we were all looking for something else, right? And um, and I had a bit of background in in construction and building, having worked with some mates, and I had a passion for design. Uh, and and so we each brought a little bit of that passion to the business. But it's interesting to note, though, I don't do marketing and PR and never have in our business. So that was my skill set, uh, but I've never done it because I was never passionate about it. My passion is design, and that is what we do. That's what I do. You know, right. we, we, the boys and I bring our passions to our business, and every now and then we, we of course, are obliged to um, to bring a skill set that we don't really like using into the business because it, you know, it's important to to do what you got, what you got to do. But it's it's the passionate bits that are the bits that have made us successful. Right. Yeah, because it's one of the things that amazes me about about Sand Hill Road is that you've when I mean, you've bought, renovated, and sold. You know, a dozen or so pubs or venues along the journey. Um, doing this successfully once is kind of hard enough, but you've done it time after time, which is all the more. Not every time, though. Not I every say, time. Steve. I'm looking forward. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Mm. But needless to say, the business has grown exponentially over those years. I'd be I'd be fascinated to hear how you make decisions differently, perhaps now. Yeah, versus right. when you first started right. with yeah. those those four group of blokes. Okay, well, so we we some things are exactly the same. Some processes and decision making um, systems are exactly the same, and some are radically different. The main difference is that when we were when we were first um, in pubs together in those early days, we would sit together, the four of us, sit together for hours and hours and hours arguing about the tiniest thing, the most irrelevant thing. What was the tiniest thing you fought over? Can you oh, remember? Uh, 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 so my, my brother and I, we could we could go toe to toe for hours on the colour of a menu, for instance, like you know, irrelevant, just just so not worth arguing about. Right. But it would go on forever. Um, and listen, the other, the other guys would occasionally weigh in on an argument, and they too could obsess about stupid things. But that was it, that was mostly Andy and I. You know, we were just ridiculous. It was it was horrendous. So um, that was a big part of our process, and it just took forever. And and we in those early days, we didn't tend to spend much time, any of us, focusing on the really big, important things. So what was the, what were some of the changes that resulted in you getting increasingly focused on the bigger things, and well, less on that minutia? Yeah. Well, well, to be blunt, we became better businessmen. Uh, our businesses became uh, better businesses. Um, and we became more successful. That, that's a bit glib, though, because, you know... What do you mean it, by better? Yeah, exactly. Well, we... The, the main challenge we had... And listen, this was part, partially our youth and experience anyway, because we, we, you know, back in those days, we were 23, 24, 25. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty young to be um, building a business. And, um, and so, you know, I, I don't blame us for some of these... You know some of these uh, failures and sure. mistakes. Um, you know we were young and we were doing our best. We, we were just trying our best. You know, but um, I think specifically the the big difference for us was that um, the moment we stepped back from little decisions like that and either left them to one person who was best equipped to make it and then trusted them to get on with it, um, or left them to somebody else who was even better equipped to deal with it. The moment that happened, the four of us could open our eyes to a much broader horizon. And it was about then, like a year into that first pub, that we started thinking, okay, thinking strategically here, we're okay at this, all right? It's been a good test and we're not great, but we're okay. We're good learners though and we've got good people around us. So we we should have another go at this. And so we went out there and found another site and we tried, speaking of failures, we, we tried a function centre. For our second venture, and uh, and it turned out that it was a good experience, 
but we were not good at running a function center. What did you learn from that? Other than you're not good that at running, not running good function centers. <laughs> that was the most important lesson because <laughs> we haven't never done it since and never will. Uh, well, you know, we learned that it was worth trying something um, and, and that in itself was a useful experience. We also learned, though, that, that once you've made a mistake, you want to you identify that really, really quickly and fix it up. And so we quite quickly worked out that that was a mistake and went back to the beginning and said, right, well, we've got the venue now. We, it doesn't work and we hate it, um, but we can't walk away from it because we couldn't afford to walk away from it. Um, so, right, let's, let's go back to basics. What else can this be? What else should it be? What else, what else could we have a go at? So we decided um, that we could probably have a go at a nightclub. So we converted the function centre, which was called The Loft, into a nightclub called The Loft. And thank God it actually worked a treat. Um, so, you know, we, we, we learned to be nimble, Steve. Right. We learned to be nimble and right. to react fairly, fairly quickly, fairly decisively. Um, and that was a great lesson, you know, okay. and, and it's stood us in good stead ever since. Okay. But mostly we learned not to open function centres. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Because, I mean, talking about this space that we're sitting in now, the Esplanade Hotel, for, for those people who are listening that aren't familiar with it, um, we're sitting in the Esplanade Hotel's podcast studio, would you believe? Around me there is an extraordinary amount of space that is so beautifully designed. There is, I think at last count, I think there's nine bars in this venue. Yep. There's a couple of top quality restaurants. Um, it, it is jammed. There's music and It art. is jammed. There's music, there's art. It, it is the cultural hub once again of St Kilda that it once was. But it's, it's fair to say that, that for the last however many years, prior to you guys getting involved... Um, it was stinky. The the as much as I love the green sticky carpet yep. that the SB was known for, unfortunately for the for the owners back in those days, it it really wasn't all that commercially successful. What made you think, going back a couple of years or three or four years, mm. presumably when you first started talking about acquiring the Esplanade Hotel, what made you think you could do it? <laughs> well, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we we had been thinking about this pub for the better part of 20 years, Steve. So when you're a publican in Melbourne, as we have been for 20 years, you you know the SP, you love the SP. Um, the SP is like the holy grail to any publican in, in Melbourne and, in fact, to a lot of publicans in the country. It's that special a place, right? It is just that unique. And most listeners, whether they're from Melbourne or from somewhere else in Australia, most listeners will know something about the SP. You know, that there'll be some connection, which is... That's a pretty unique and rare thing because most Australians would not say the same thing of any other pub. You know, there might be one or two iconic hotels around the country that might fit that bill, but like the SB is the one. But most most Australians knew about the SB before that, yet it wasn't commercially successful. Yeah, good. That, that, that's a good point, right? So, so we had the benefit of knowing all about this place and loving it, but but you know, not every person's out there thinking whether they could one day own it. I agree, but for us, from very early on. We we always hoped that we'd have the chance to run this place one day. We okay. always hoped, that and we, we we watched it its fortunes um, you know grow and fade over well over thirty to forty years, but you know over the last twenty years in particular, um, and all the time thinking to ourselves, hey, could this pub come back, and could we could we be part of that? You know that was always in our mind, and we looked at it about eight years ago when the previous owners first thought about um, selling it. And we just, we just didn't think that we were ready for it. We didn't think we were capable of it. We, we just didn't think it could be done. Let me put it to you another way, Matty. So competition in the hospitality industry is absolutely massive. If, if my numbers are right, last year there were about 130,000 hospitality businesses opened in Australia and most of them, based on the stats, aren't going to last more than one or two years. And meanwhile, you spent one or two years renovating the SB. And shortly after you opened, you won not just the best new hotel, but Hotel of the Year at the 2019 Alia Awards, which are basically the hospitality industry's version of the Grammys. So my question, Matt, then is why are you different? Yeah, right. Okay. Well, listen, we, we, we don't think that we're we don't think we're that different or that special, um, but but we all recognise that you know this place in particular is genuinely special. 
Now, we're, we're, you know, we're innately pretty humble blokes, right? So we know that a huge part of what makes this place in particular so special is 140 years of history and thousands of people who've lived, worked, and in some cases died here, right? Um, and, uh, and, and, and of course, all those patrons who've been coming here for all those years, right? So we know that that, that is really impactful in what makes this place special. But yeah, we also know that we made a lot of good decisions here, so, right? So step us through some of those decisions, because right. well, if you had, have, I would imagine if you had have spoken to people that knew you guys were about, in fact, I remember having a conversation with a St Kilda local one time and, and we were talking about the pending opening of the, of the Esplanade Hotel, which they really loved, and they said that they thought that they were going to have some some yuppies that had taken <laughs> over the the pub and were going to open it. Yeah. Didn't go down so well. But <laughs> but what what have you done differently t- to make it the success that it is? Well, the, the the simple and single biggest thing we did was to know that it was going to be the challenge of our lives to avoid that exact problem, and. And so we dedicated years to making sure that that we did it right. We did our homework, so we spent years travelling around the world, um, visiting other buildings like this one, visiting hotels like this, visiting music um, venues and art venues, cocktail bars and restaurants. But we also, more importantly, we spent years talking to the people who love this place like years, we would have had thousands of individual conversations. None of them, well, sorry, some of them, most of them though, not random and accidental. Most of them were us going out to the community of St Kilda in particular and talking to people um, and learning. Now, we, we had a really good sense of the history of this place. We loved it ourselves, right? So uh, it's, not like, it's not like it was all new to us, but you know, every, indif- indiv- every individual's got a unique experience in this place and and for most people, it's especially people in St Kilda and Melbourne, like their experience at the SB is really important to them. And so we dedicated thousands of hours to getting to understand all those experiences. So Matt, you're, for want of a better term, within the Sand Hill Road group, you're the creative director, if I can use that term. Um, you're the person who comes up with the vision, and kind of the experience design for the venues that you choose to, to restore um, and, and renovate. Can you give us a sense of the types of tools and things that you do yep. to help provide you with the inspiration for creating the sort of change that you envision in the first place? So it's interesting to say that. So, so if I'm the creative director, let, let, let's, let's use that term because it's, it's actually quite nice. I like it. <laughs> but, but let's say, yeah. So... Um, you then you then went on to, though to say, Steve, that that, that um, I come up with a vision and the creative um, vision for a place. Now that's the part that isn't true, right? So um, as the creative director, if that's what I am, um, I run a process with my partners and my people to get us a vision. Can you can you give us the, can you give us but, the elevator summary on that process, that system? Absolutely. But the the most important thing about this process to realise, and I realised this years and years and years ago, is that I do not come up with a vision. I mean, I might, right? Because I'm part of a process. It might be me who comes up with this idea or that idea or this vision or that vision. It might be, right? And often enough, yeah, it is actually. But it's it, I don't rely on myself to do that, and I don't think I don't think I'm good enough to come up with every idea. There's just no way, right? Um, and I, I, I know there'll always be better ideas, you know. So, uh, so, so the break process, down the process for us. Well, so um, the, the the boys and I to, to get in the nuts and bolts, right? We look at a venue like the SB, which mm-hmm. we looked at for years and years and years, mm-hmm. and we talk quietly and calmly with each other over a period of time about what we think it could be, you know, like 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 the, at the base level, like you know, is it a pub? If you took on the SB, would it be a pub? And yeah, you discuss it. You keep an open mind, you know, because maybe maybe it's not. Maybe it's a cafe and a restaurant, right? Or maybe it's just a live music venue. Maybe it's a concert hall or something, right? Um, but for us, no, no, no. It's a pub, absolutely. And but I don't decide that. That's something we discuss together, and 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 we keep an open mind. With all due respect, most of what you do are pubs. So absolutely, that's probably low hanging fruit. Where right? to next? <laughs> okay, so, uh, <laughs> um, but but it's but it's, but but. If you could, remembering though, right, that uh, yeah, I think in a process like this, you have to keep such an open mind that you actually should ask that question every time. 
You just, right. just, 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 and, and honestly, think about alternatives. And if you can, what do are some it, of the alternatives you, do, you thought about for the SB if it wasn't going to be? We a didn't, in truth, <laughs> we didn't, right? We didn't. But, 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 but we should ask the question anyway, right? It, it, if nothing else, right? So, I, I think, I think it's a habit we should get into as creative people and as business leaders. We should get into into a habit of keeping an open mind on even the things where where the mind should be closed, right? Because you should still ask the question. Because the interesting thing for me in terms of where or my understanding of where you're at as a business when you open the Esplanade Hotel mm. is that you you expanded around that time from from four key partners in the business to five. Yep. And Andrew Lark, who is an exceptionally accomplished M&A guy who's yep. worked, correct me if I'm wrong, with, with Orica, I think he sits on the board of Dulux. Yep. I, he's I would a CEO love Vixum. Um, so he, he's yeah yeah exceptionally accomplished yeah. Um, uh, person in the business world. I, I would be fascinated to to hear more about how you convince Andrew as mm-hmm. at at that point in time a partner in the business that putting a podcast studio <laughs> in the Esplanade Hotel or for that matter a Chinese restaurant was actually a good idea. I'm not sure I ever convinced Andrew it was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever have. He, he, he still walks past the podcast studio and and measures it up for how many people he could put in here <laughs> on a Saturday night when there's a queue out the front. Um, no, it's it, it, it's a great question, right? But but as to the process, which is this is how it happens, right? In the process, so for instance, when we looked at the SB, um, yes, it's pub, right? And it's going to have a wide array of F and B offers and music, and um, and it's going to be a sort of place that can attract people uh, night after night, month after month, year after year, ideally, right? And, and then, of course, you sit about and work out how it's all going to work. So the first thing for us, once we've got the basics of that, and that, and that, that happens because we sit around together and talk and chat, we have a beer, we wander through the place, we go down and sit, sit down somewhere and, and just literally just discuss the possibilities. Um, we will then, I'll then go away with that information, with, with that chat with the boys, I'll then go away and, and plan it. Like I'll draw it. I'll right. literally, I will literally sketch a venue um, Onto, onto floor plans and um, I'll jump onto Pinterest or Instagram and and find, you know, like 100 or 200 different images in a whole bunch of different categories that helps me describe to the boys what, what I think it could look like and the plans help them understand where things might go. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, could, I might do that three or four times. We go back to the boys every time, say, what do you think? Uh, we'll get, get their thoughts, get their ideas. They'll throw stuff into the mix and we'll adjust it and change it and, and tweak it. Um, and, and all the way along, we, we, we know that, that um, the best we can do in that process is decide if there's something viable here. Like, I don't think I'm designing a pub. Right. I get that, right? You, you mentioned travel as well as something that augments your process. Yeah. Can you... Can you- Perhaps talk a little bit about the places that you go to, the places that have inspired you over the years in terms yeah, of right. feeding into your design philosophy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, well, so the reason, I mean, we spend a lot of time in Melbourne going out and, and you know, coming in and out of pubs and bars, restaurants, hotels, whatever else, getting inspired. Um, now, sometimes inspiration is, is you know, oh, my God, that that's just giving me a thought. Sometimes it is plain old-fashioned stealing ideas. Not, no, no crimes about it. Great art steel, man. Absolutely, that's that, and that is fine, right? And and uh, that's why, for what's worth, I have no problems at all when people walk into our pubs and I see something pop up in theirs. There is a bit of that. A few weeks later, that, that is fine yeah, by me. I've got no problems at all with that. So, um, but but of course, you know, we don't expect that that we can get every great idea and every piece of inspiration from our own city. Although we're pretty bloody good here in Melbourne and very very lucky, right? But we go to Sydney. Um, to get more inspiration and Brisbane and Hobart and Adelaide and Perth um, and to regional towns that are often enough doing you know world-class things with hospitality these days um, but of course we also go overseas and and so uh, the one one or two of us would go away a couple of times every single year um, to visit cities and and venues that are doing extraordinary things. So, you know, there are there are obvious places that that most people would think of when I want to say that. So, what know, are some of the the less obvious places? Yeah, right. So, as well as the New York and LA and London, you know, the less obvious places are places like say Austin in Texas, um, which is an incredibly cool town, like just a wild town. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, and you know, so many of the best 
and coolest venue operators in the US have have packed up from New York or LA and or Chicago or whatever and moved to Austin because there's just such an amazing vibe there. So you, you, you get world-class everything. Um, barbecue, of course. Um, music. Music. Cocktails. Cocktails. Art, South by Southwest, which sort, is happening South as Southwest. we speak, I believe. There you go. Right, exactly. So um, so that's, that's, a surprising, that's a surprising place, you know? Because there is one place where you have opened a venue, which was quite surprising and notable, Predominantly because mm. it was it was outside of Melbourne, and that mm. is in the Queensland town of Rockhampton. Mm, yes. And for anyone listening, perhaps overseas, who isn't familiar with Australian geography as well as we are, you may be surprised to hear that Rockhampton is about two thousand. Is it two thousand kilometres? Jeez, it, it did feel like Melbourne. it was quite a long way. That's a, that's say, a long yeah. way. That's a long way. <laughs> Tell us about that experience, Matt. Well, that was, it was a great experience all round. Um, and well worth doing, but it was a bit unusual. So um, that was the only time we've ever, ever been in a JV with with another organisation. So some mutual friends of ours had bought the hotel and wanted us to give them some advice, which we were happy to do. And and then the end of that process, they sort of said, "Hey, listen, why don't you come in with us and and enact all that advice and actually run the pub for us?" Which uh, after after a period of time, we decided we, we would do. And so we we renovated and opened and then ran for a couple of years the. Heritage Hotel up in Rockhampton. And did it work? It did. It did work. And again, it taught us a lot, a lot of important lessons. Um, our relationship with that organisation is still fantastic. We still see those guys all the time and, and catch up and chat and have a lot of fun with them. Um, and and so the relationship is great. But um, we wouldn't do it again. So, so, right. so joint venture itself is, why is hard. That? Why is that? Well, it, it took... Uh, it, it took years and years for the, my partners and I to get to a point where we could do business with each other, right? And and many many times along the way, we thought we would pack it in. We'll get to that in a sec. Yeah, right. So you know, it, it, it many times along the way. So um, the idea that ten years in, having just found a way to make sure that your own partnership is solid, um, the idea that you could start a new one. Uh, is it's it's ambitious, shall we say, Steve? And in okay. truth, it actually still worked out really well. But but to make these sorts of things work properly, like everything has to be perfect. Like there is so a was lot that of just the error. tyranny of distance, or or was it the that more to do with the for want of a better term, the business relationships that you had involving the partners that were outside of your core group? It's it's simpler than that. Although those things are true, right? They were they were big challenges. It's simpler than that. To to make something work. Uh, in the crucible of you know an intense high pressure environment, which is what most business is, because you know, hey, let's be honest, none of us have got quite enough money, quite enough time, um, quite enough space to fail. Um, you have to, a bit more now to be you? able to. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that that's a low blow. <laughs> <laughs> it's not low at all. It's a uh, um, so it, it, it's always pressure. Sure, there's always pressure, and sure. and and because um, I was listening. Um, again, to just in preparation for this, actually, I was listening again to the. It was admittedly it was an audible book um, by Richard Florida, which I'm sure you've read, called "The Rise of the Creative Class." I haven't read it. I know it though. Yeah, and he and talks about and he talks about creative capital being associated with place. Yeah, and the fact that you need a certain creative sensibility, and businesses need a certain creative sensibility to connect like-minded folks to work within them and make them great. Yeah. I guess my question was, would, would Sand Hill Road work if it was outside of Melbourne? We ask ourselves this question all the time, Steve-O, and obviously the answer was yes 10 years ago and we gave it a whirl. And, and indeed, you know, it, it did work, but, but it didn't work as well as it could have or should have and it didn't work as well as it works here. So, Because um, if you transported the ESPY to Sydney, do you think it would work? Well... I don't think it'll work the way it works here, no. No, I think there is something truly unique about this combination of hotel and city that, um, that couldn't translate anywhere else, no. That, 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 by the way, though, that's interesting. So that's the unique thing about a pub, right, that cannot be said for bars, restaurants, cafes, generally, you know, like it's uniquely the nature of a hotel that most pubs have been part of their city, part of their community for decades and in most cases like 100 plus years. And so 
So you can never underestimate the connection between place and hotel. So that's the reason that, that you don't get chain pubs very often. Right. You know, it occasionally happens. Um, but, it, you know, you could, we, we, for instance, know that th- this place is incredibly successful and we are so lucky, right? So fortunate, so blessed. But if we were any other kind of business, we would now be planning ESPYs all around the country. But, but it does SB not franchise work. franchise doesn't quite work. It doesn't work. Doesn't, It'll never work. Doesn't have and the same nor should it, right? Sure. Absolutely right. Sure. But sure. think about it this way, right? Like the Royals, for instance. The Royals is an exceptional product, right? Helmed by amazing nice people so. doing Thank incredible you, work, right? And you guys naturally at some point say to yourselves, hey, we should open an office in Sydney. Of course we should. And you did. Mm-hmm. And you have one there, right? Mm-hmm. And and you will also think to yourselves, "Hey, when that works, we should definitely open one in Brisbane too." It's an in, it's a, it's an interesting point because with creative capital, and the point that that Richard Florida makes throughout the book is that it's so inherently tied to people, and our business isn't too dissimilar, yep. right? So we maintain the client relationships. Our people come up with the ideas. We are the creative capital of of our business, which. Brings an inter- interesting question with KKR's acquisition of you guys, and without you guys in it, how does that work? Because they're not creative capital isn't a commodity, like yep. creativity isn't a commodity. Yep, it's a good question. How do, how, how do you think that will go? Well, listen, I think it'll go very, very well. Of course, you're going to say. Yep, that. of course, I'm going to say that. Absolutely <laughs> right. Absolutely right. But um, I think it'll go very, very well because, I mean, I've spent a lot of time with. Not the KKR guys, but but the guys at ABC here yep. in Australia, yep. and I've got a lot of respect for them. And a lot of those guys I've known for years and years, right? And um, the one thing that we've learnt about them is that they are exceptionally good at running pubs. Now they're the first people to admit, hey, you know, we we probably couldn't conceive of and open an SB, and and that's probably right. It's not what they're built to do, right? Right? But it's exactly what we're built to do. What is now, it? That's, what what is it? Re- that, that makes you say that, that they're not built to do that? Well, uh, listen, I'm probably being too blunt here by saying that, but but again, th- they've said the same thing, right? I, it's a certain skill set, right? The, the process I just described to you that took years and years that got the SB open, right? The process that involves a lengthy, slow, careful, cautious, um, creative process, you know, that, that mm. built up a vision for what this place could be, what the offer mm. would be, where mm. things would go, Um and then a whole other process that I didn't describe to you about that decides what it will look like, right? That involves time time overseas and you know and and incredible depth um, in the research process. I'd like to shift. I'd like to shift gears again, and perhaps build on on some of the um, discussion that you were talking about with regards to Uncle Bob, and delve a little bit more deeply into the idea of vulnerability, which is something, of mm. course, thanks to people like Brene Brown, people mm. talking a lot more about very necessarily these days. We had a guy by the name of Ben Crow who previously was head of um, Asia Pac marketing for Nike and ran a couple of startups after that. A wonderful, wonderful bloke and exceptionally successful in his own right. And he's recently shifted to become mentor to people like Australia's number one female tennis player in the world, Ash Barty. And, And Ben spoke to our people at the Royals a lot about the importance of vulnerability and how... Vulnerability in many respects can be the ultimate display of strength and of character. Yeah. And when I was thinking about that in the context of the Esplanade Hotel, I, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was how vulnerable you felt mm. in the process of opening this this extraordinary venue because the Esplanade is so much more than just a pub. Yep, yep, right. Yeah, no, it, it is, and, and that only added to our sense of vulnerability, <laughs> mate. Uh, so, f- again, for a lot of the reasons that I've already described to you, we, we, we felt particularly vulnerable in the lead-up to this, this opening, but it wasn't radically different to any other previous experience. I mean, lot, like any... Oh, hang on, you were, you were on every major national news broadcast in the country when it opened. Yeah. It uh, must have felt different. Uh, it, it, no, it is different. It is different. It, no question about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and the light, that, that spotlight is, uh, you know, adds to that sense of vulnerability, no doubt about it, right? You, you, know, you know there's nowhere to hide. But I, I think like anybody who has a dream, um, works their ass off to try and make that dream a reality, whether it's to put on a show or write a book or um, produ- you know, produce a tagline for an ad um, or open a pub. You, you desperately want it to work. 
and and you hope to God that it does, and you hope you've done everything right to to get you to a point where when you finally put that thing in front of the world um, or in front of your mum and dad, whoever it might be, that they say, well done, we like it. And, um, and, and, and the, the greater the spotlight, the more you feel the pressure to deliver that. And so, yeah, obviously. So how do you manage that pressure? pressure here. What, what tips or techniques, strategies do you have to manage that pressure? Well, the, the, we've got a couple of things in our favour, right? We, we have partnership. And so the the you know, I, I forget the, the old saying, but you know, like a, a a pressure shared is a it's not pressure, but you know, whatever a, a vulnerability shared is a vulnerability halved, or what have you, right? And there's no doubt about it. The fact that I've got four other partners, and then um, a, a team of incredibly talented senior leaders who work with us, right? The fact that that we are all in that together, and that we all share, we all feel that vulnerability together, the pressure. The fact that we can talk quietly and calmly to each other about that, um, and and openly and happily tell the people around us that we are nervous and unsure and afraid sometimes, um, is an enormous benefit. You know, I mean. So do you create any? Do you create any special forums for that, Matt? In terms of um, because it's not the sort of thing that can come up in everyday conversations. No, but do you have? It, it, do you have any special forums where you can express your vulnerabilities or how you're feeling about things to to your business partners themselves? We no, we don't. In fact, we we have had in the past. So you know, in in the past, my partners and I um, used to sit down with a um, a psychologist who was like a marriage counselor. Marriage counselor. We, called him, we called him marriage counselor. Yeah, right. right. Toby was our marriage counselor, and we would sit down with him and discuss exactly that. And it was a it was a you know this is a bit wanky, but it was a safe place to sit and just talk about what we were feeling what we were nervous about what we were worried about what we were feeling about did it get absolutely on occasions but the difference was so we were trying to have those conversations because you have to have them right so we were trying to have them anyway but we were having them without the benefit of a grown-up in the room right so we we were the kids just hammering shit out um and the moment the grown-up arrived right the The moment there was someone else in the room right we we were just better behaved, you know. We we became grown ups ourselves. And so, um, how long did you do the marriage counselling for? Oh, years, years. And we st- we still speak to Toby all the time. We, we're, we're great mates with him. Um, we we he fortunately got us to a place where we didn't need him anymore, which was always his aim. Um, and uh, and so you know we, we're able to to create that environment for ourselves anyway. I will say, though, mind you, that 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 Andrew joining us, uh, you know, three years ago. Um, Andrew is the grown-up amongst us in many ways. He's more experienced than us. He's a little bit older than us. Uh, he's certainly wiser than us. And, um, and so does he play the role of marriage counsellor now? It, it, he doesn't need to. He plays the role of grown-up in the room. Right. Um, what do you mean by that? It, well, it, we... The, so is the that board, from a commercial perspective? No, not Creative at all. perspective? No, 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 no. And, and not that either. No, no, just, just from... You know, human beings are frail, right? And... And particularly in our case, so so we'd we'd been doing this partnership thing together from the time we were 23, 24 years of age, through to you know five years ago when Andrew joined us, and, and you know, about the time when Toby was helping us, sort of so ten years right, through to mid thirties, and honestly, as if a group of twenty five year old kids are going to know how to have every conversation about vulnerability and pressure and responsibility, and you know we were we were kids. I mean, you had to have conversations about a lot of other things. We did. We were okay at that, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it's 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 a lot, and and there was a lot of pressure, you know. And we we were growing up together, and we were learning together, and so and so we fell into a lot of silly little traps. And I and for instance, you could speak to any one of my partners, and they'll be able to tell you precisely what Matt's stupid little thing used to be. They'll know it, and I can tell you what theirs are. Right? What was it? No, no. <laughs> Speak to them. <laughs> no, no, no. For me, for me, it, I, I, I can be incredibly self righteous. You know, I, I can, I can know, I, I can believe that I am absolutely right, and I can sit myself up on what my brother calls the uh, the ivory tower, and just sit there. Judging everyone else around me, so, so for not getting what I get. What's the difference right? that's between? That's It's useless. What's the difference between being self-righteous and having a clear vision of where you want to go? Right. Well, uh, 
specific, I don't know precisely, right? But I can tell you for me, the difference is that is that it's still great when I believe I'm probably right. It's still great that, that I can have gone through a process, thought really carefully about something, done the homework, done the research, and thought about all other possibilities, and then come back and say, you know what? No, I reckon this is right. But if I then say to everybody else, I'm not listening to you anymore, and I don't care what else you have to say, or certainly if I don't do that at any point during the process, right, I, I, I've missed something. Like I've lost right. something. Like put, putting everything else aside, right? I haven't brought people with me, right? Which is pointless in a collaborate, in a, in a partnership. Like you know, that's just in a team environment, it's pointless, right? Um, but I've missed something. I'll never know what I might be, right? But I, I must have missed something. So, so that's that's interesting in the context of having kind of firm opinions lightly held when you're talking about creating new venues, changing new venues. Um, opening new pubs and continuing to build your business. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be really interested to hear more about the sale process right. itself. Yeah. And, and you guys have managed to get acquired by Australian venue company backed by KKR mm. in one of the more challenging economic times. That <laughs> well, it's fair to well, say this well, world has certainly faced since, since the GFC. <laughs> Yeah. Which is which is a remarkable feat. I, I'd love to hear more about how that sale process transpired. Yeah, right. Well, so um, so the the guys at ABC um, previously called Dixon Hospitality. So those guys we know well, and we we spend a lot of time with them. And 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 they made it very very clear to everyone in our industry what their aim was. Their aim was to acquire businesses like ours, and grow them, make them better, and ultimately list the company. So. Um, there was never any illusion as to what their aim was, and to do that, it was you know it was clear to them and to everybody else that they'd need to become really good operators. I mean, they had they still had to acquire the right businesses at the right price, whatever else, but they had to become really good pub operators, and and they certainly have done that. Right, they're exceptionally good at running pubs, and uh, like other big companies like ALH, for instance, they they. They're clever enough in this day and age to realise that cookie cutter doesn't work. So that they themselves are actually quite nimble. How long was the process from start to finish when you first started talking to? It was them? years. It was, it was years. years because because again, remembering um, they made it very clear. That's not that nimble they're... though, Matt. Well, no, it, sorry, it took years because we kept saying no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean they, they, they tried to be nimble, and and if if we'd said yes the first time they asked, right. um, it would have taken no time. So how long from when you first said yes to signing the document? Oh, right. Recently? Well, uh, um, that's been pretty brief. You know, that that's been three months probably. Right. Uh, three very relaxing, easy, I'm sure, calm, I'm sure. tranquil months. I'm sure. Steve, I'm sure. <laughs> what were some of the what were some of the bigger hurdles in that process that you had to get over? I mean, speaking about being self righteous, when mm. you've got those sort of stakes on the line yeah. with a business that's been built up consistently over twenty years. What sort of challenges did that represent for for you and your business partners in particular? Yeah, there, there were a couple of main ones that that were in our mind from the very first moment. So the 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 first one was, hey, what what will this mean for the people around us? What will this mean for the people who've built this company with us and these pubs individually? Because I mean, the company continues, Sandra Road continues. The boys and I go to work every day for the next god knows how many years building more pubs, right? So, um, so you're still going to stay in hospitality? Most definitely, yeah. We've got the Waterside Hotel opening later this year. I'm in there every single day renovating that. And then we're looking for the next site or two at the moment. And, you know, we're getting close on a couple. So we'll just we'll just keep going. Uh, but the, the, the first big hurdle was, first big challenge was, what would this mean? If we said yes to this, what would this mean for the people around us who built these pubs with us? Who run them? Uh, um, who we really, really care about? You know, many of whom have been with, been with us for years and years and years, right? So, um, that's it's not lip service. It, it, it's not. We don't just say it because it's important to say. We actually mean it. We know we can't do this on our own. We just know it, right? We know we didn't do it on our own, and so, you know, that was a big question for us. And and in the end, the answer was, hey, you know, with very few exceptions, and there are some exceptions. Everyone keeps their job if they want to, and everyone has the opportunity then to move on through this enormous big company. Tell us about when you finally did sign the day. Yeah. 
how did you feel? Uh, how did you how did you wake up? Utterly how did you work with the, how did you work with your partners? Yeah. Utterly how, exhausted. Mate. How much did Sophie, your wife, um, have to to do with you on that day? Yeah, Give right. Give us a little bit of a sense of yeah, how that went sure. down. Yeah, sure. So it, it's um so the like always, you know, these things just aren't easy and and even if they appear easy for a second, all of a sudden they're not. Now, so Andrew, our partner, um, led negotiations from our point of view. So he and Tommy, um, my other business partner, were were right in the thick of it, you know, all day, every day with our CFO, Matt, and our CEO, Dan, like all day, every day in the thick of it for three months. You know, like it, it's, it's truly exhausting work. It wasn't for me. You know, I was sitting on the edge of it. Um, exhausted, just... Just watching on, as bearing know, and, and sure. riding riding the roller coaster that we all rode. Uh, uh, but no, the, the, yeah, when it when it when it was actually done, you know, there was a lot of mixed emotion, you know, which wouldn't surprise anyone. You know, we 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 love our pubs, like we love our pubs, we love our staff, and we love our patrons. You know, like it's really personal for us, and and so. You know, there's always going to be some odd mixed emotions, um, but you know, honestly, and I've told it, I've been upfront with everyone about this. I also felt enormous relief as well because while at the beginning of this process we could have taken or left this offer, you know, we were all perfectly happy just to, you know, if it works out, fine. If it doesn't, also fine because we we love this company, we love these pubs, and happy to keep running them for the next twenty years, right? But but once you're involved in a process and once you've once you've spent three months on it, once you've once you've turned your company's attention to the idea that you know that and its people to the idea that that you know something here might change really big in a couple of months, um, you invest in that idea and you get used to that idea and uh, and you want to get it done. Thanks so much again, Matt. I absolutely love this place, not to mention the other Santa Road venues that we've been lucky enough to spend time in over the years here in Melbourne and also in Rockhampton. Thank you for all that you and your business partners have done in bringing about so much creatively driven and inspiring change to so many venues over the years. We can't wait to see what's next. Thank you so much again. (laughs) 